and I'm not sure uh, what uh, your week ha- has been like. Um, it, maybe it's been really busy and you're feeling overwhelmed. Uh, maybe you haven't had a lot to do this week. Uh, yesterday, I was on this platform uh, standing with Carl and Stephanie McQueen as they made vows to be faithful to each other in their marriage. Uh, and it was a beautiful ceremony. It was a great day of celebration. Uh, on Thursday, I was at the bedside of Ken Spicer, uh, sitting with Marion as she spent the last few hours uh, with her husband this side of eternity after 63 years of marriage. So I got to be with a couple on day one, and I got to be with a couple on day, on day who knows, year 63 of living out those vows. And it was a real full circle moment for me, right? And just seeing from beginning to end, just the faithfulness uh, that we are called to. Um, and, and so I know no matter where you find yourself in the circle of life, right? Wherever you find yourself today, I know what you need. And I know what I need. And we need God's word. And, and so that's why uh, it's such a privilege for us to be able to come together. No matter what's going on, no matter how crazy things are getting, uh, we're coming together and we're opening God's word together. So I would love for you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you and you want to grab the one that's right in front of you, just turn to page 973, and that's where you will find our passage this morning. If, if you're a guest with us, we, we want you to know right from the start, we believe that this Bible we are opening is the inspired Word of God, inerrant in the original manuscripts and then sovereignly preserved for us through the generations so that through the, the reading of this book and the illumination of His Spirit, we believe that we can know God. We can love him, and we can follow him, and we can worship him, and we believe so much in the sufficiency of scripture that what I'm about to say today, it doesn't matter unless it agrees with what God's word says. We, we want to collectively be a church that believes it doesn't really matter what I think. What matters is what the Bible says. So what the Bible says needs to become what we think. And I'm just going to warn you, if you come to the conclusion that the Bible is your ultimate authority, that has significant ramifications for the rest of your life. So I don't want you just to take my word for it, but I want you to know where we stand. And this is why we want you to see God's word for yourself today in the book of Galatians. As has been previewed, we are beginning a series today that will take us through the Christmas season, ready or not, here it comes. When you walked in today and saw all the decorations, maybe you were like, oh, this is so nice. Or maybe you're like, oh my goodness, I need to get my tree up too. Um, and we promised our own children that we are going to put our tree up this afternoon. So I don't know if you want to pray for us, but, uh, <laughs> but, but they, are, they, are very, they are very excited for that. As soon as other Christmas trees started going up, our kids were very offended that ours was not. Uh, and today, today is the day. And so we are in what many refer to as Advent season. Uh, And Advent is not a term that you find in the Bible. It it just means the arrival of something notable. The arrival of something notable, which is what Christmas was. The arrival of someone very, very notable. And and, and we we just are coming out of the series in the Ten Commandments, uh, which was so good because God's laws are good, because God is good, uh, but we also don't want to live under the law. Right? We want to live under grace. Uh, I, I need God's grace. I just want, I'll just go ahead and say it. I need God's grace. I'm not sure about you. Actually, I do know about you. You need God's grace too. 
We all need the grace of God. And, and so our desire for the month of December is that we would see and celebrate the grace of God this Christmas. Every, every week when we come together, uh, we're just going to be looking at another, passages, uh, another passage that, that, that talks about the grace of God and the grace that appeared to us at Christmas. Um, and, and Galatians 3 and 4 provides, in my mind, the perfect segue from the Ten Commandments to the appearance of grace at Christmas. Uh, because in the book of Galatians, Paul is writing to a church who had, who had fallen under the influence of some false teachers, and as a result, they were in danger of walking away from the grace of the gospel and going back to the Mosaic law and dependence on the law. And, and, and Paul, throughout the book of Galatians, if you read it, is saying that we don't move on from Christ to dependence on ourselves. The, the grace of the gospel isn't something that we move on from. It's something that we move deeper and deeper into. And, 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 so, and so he's just emphasizing the, import, like the importance of faith rather than dependence on the law. And, and we're jumping into a context where Paul has just said earlier in chapter 3 that anyone who seeks to be justified by the law is under a curse. And in trying to steer this church away from living based on their own merit, he anticipates this question in verse 19, why do we even have the law? Okay, so we spent a series of the Ten Commandments, and it was really good, but we recognize that we couldn't keep it, and it confronts some things in us, and, and, and God is holy, and we are not, and, and so if if, if we can't be justified through that, like, what's the purpose of it? If, if living under it just leads to our condemnation, like, what was the purpose of the law itself? That's the question that he asks in Galatians 3, 19. So we're going to pick up uh, the passage in Galatians 3, 19. Paul asks, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come, to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Uh, we're going to allow uh, Galatians 3 and 4 to cause us to think about what it was like before Jesus came. What, what, what was it like before Jesus came? Before grace appeared. And, 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 and the first thing that we see as we walk through this passage is before grace appeared, we were waiting for fulfillment. We were waiting for fulfillment, and not even the fulfillment of the law. We were waiting for the fulfillment of the promise. You might have noticed that Paul's talking about the promise, and he's going to keep doing that in this passage. And the promise he is talking about is the promise that was given to Abraham. The, he, Abraham uh, received the, the Abrahamic covenant from God, a promise, right, that through Abraham's line, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so, so, they, so he had this promise that, he was, that Abraham died waiting to be fulfilled. God had made of him a great na- was making of him a great nation, but through his line, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And Paul, and Paul is saying the law is not the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. So why the law? If it wasn't the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham 430 years before God gave the law to Moses, why did we have it? And, and there's lots of reasons that Paul could have stated here. 
because we saw this as we studied the Ten Commandments. The law reveals so much about the character of our God. The law reveals the values of God. The problem isn't the law. The problem is us. And that's why we, there is a confrontation every week as we went through that series. But in verse 19, Paul says that the, that the law was added because of transgressions. Or another way to say that is the law was added to reveal, to reveal transgressions. Because the law of God is the diagnosis, not the cure. Think about it like an x-ray machine or like an MRI. It's the diagnosis. It's not the cure. Uh, The law doesn't heal you. It reveals that you need to be healed. You don't go to God's law to justify yourself. You go to the law and see that you are guilty before a holy God. So, so we need the law because without it, we might wrongfully think that we are good, right? Just like you need an MRI and you need an x-ray at times because without it, you might not know the problem that lies within you. So, so, we, so we need the law. And, and if you go up to a stranger and you ask them if they're a good person, what do most people say? I try to be. I do my best. I think I'm a good person. I'd like to think that I'm a good person. Right? We, we like to think that we are good because we don't compare ourselves to God's standard. We compare ourselves to the people around us, especially the ones that aren't doing so well, so we can feel better about ourselves. The problem is God's standard is not whether we are better than other people. God's standard is himself. So we come to God's law. We get our spiritual x-ray right? We, we think we're good, but we're not. And, and, we, and we had these moments over, that last, over the last series. Maybe that's what the Ten Commandments series was for you, right? You allowed you to do a scan of your heart and see the areas that weren't in line with God's word. And the diagnosis that we get when we come to God's law on our own is that we are a mess, right? So if the law was the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, can we agree? That's not a great promise, All it does is show us the problem. It doesn't do anything to fix it. And so I love what Paul does in verse 19. He says, the law was added because of transgressions until, until the offspring should come. So the promise God made to Abraham wasn't waiting 430 years for the law to come. The law was waiting 1,450 years or so for the promise to come. The law through that time was revealing more and more sin, constantly reinforcing that we aren't good enough. You can't approach God on your own. The law was waiting, along with the rest of us, for Jesus, the only one who could fulfill it. He is the true offspring of Abraham. He is the promised one because all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed through him. The rest of verses 19 and 20 can be confusing, but Paul is just showing the supremacy of the promise over the law, and he, uh, he anticipates another question in verse 21. Look at Galatians 3.21. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Are they, are they opponents? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. 
So based on Paul's language about the law to this point, especially how relying on it brings a curse compared to faith in the promise bringing a blessing, someone could get the impression that the law and the promise are in opposition to each other. But Paul says that's not the case. Right? The law reveals our need for the promise. It's not an opponent. It is revealing our need for the other. The intention of the promise of God was to bring us life. That was never the intention of the law. The law was never intended to bring us to God. It was intended to show that we can't get to God on our own. There had to be a sacrifice, right? Blood had to be shed. The entire setup of the temple in the Old Testament reinforced that you can't approach this holy God on your own. You can never be good enough to attain righteousness through law-keeping. So rather than the law freeing us, it imprisoned us captive under our own sin, waiting for deliverance, longing for a savior. The law serves the promise by causing us to long for something that can set us free from it. The scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So before grace appeared, we were waiting for the fulfillment of the promise, Jesus, who would fulfill the law in our place. Look at verse 23. Now, before faith came, and that's just a way of saying before Jesus came, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith, Jesus, would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. How? Through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. Okay, that passage is like an entire sermon or two. Okay, uh, we're not gonna, I, we actually preached on this uh, a few years ago, and yeah, this was an entire sermon. Uh, you're not going to get that this morning. What, what I want you to see here is that before grace appeared, we were waiting for unification, for unification. Paul starts verse 23 with that interesting phrase, before faith came, and he's referring to Jesus. He's not arguing that faith didn't exist prior to Christ because he's already argued in the book of Galatians that salvation through faith alone predates the law. Abraham was justified by faith. Salvation has always been by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from works. But during the period of the law, we were waiting on the object of our faith. We were waiting for the fulfillment of the promise. And so verse 23 is saying that the law holds us captive because we can never fulfill it. And because we can't fulfill it, we could never be free from it. Paul likens the law to a guardian. Uh, Picture a really strict nanny um, that is always there to correct your poor manners or your poor English or your poor attitude. But a guardian or a nanny or a schoolmaster's role is limited to someone's childhood years to prepare you to move on to adulthood. The problem was that without Christ on our own, we could never mature enough to move on from the law. It is constantly hanging over our heads, reminding us that we don't measure up, 
that we aren't good enough, that we messed up again. Some of you have lived that way. You're living based on your own achievement and based on what you can do. And the law is constantly over your head, reminding you of all the ways that you don't measure up. And it's miserable. It's miserable. You just can never be good enough. And when you are living under the law, unity with each other is nearly impossible. Because a a legalistic mindset says, I I deserve more than that person. And that person, they were really good. They probably deserve more than me, but I deserve more that I, I deserve more than that person, right? And I've earned it and they haven't. And legalism causes us to, co- to play this comparison game and see where we stack up in the pecking order of goodness. And I think that's why when Jesus comes on the scene, you have different categories of people based on their spiritual performance. And so you read the text of Scripture and you see that there's these religious leaders, right? They're the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they are the elites, right? They're the best of the best. They invented more laws to keep just to prove how much better they were than the people that couldn't even keep God's laws, right? Like, they had this legalistic mindset where if I keep all these laws, I am better. I don't associate with people that are on a different playing field than me, right? Don't do that, right? And then, and then you, have that, you have the elites and all the way down to tax collectors and sinners, right? And we look down on those people because they don't have as much merit as these really holy people. And so when you have that spectrum of goodness, that spectrum of righteousness, you don't have unity, right? You have a bunch of different categories of people, right? It it would be offensive to put someone else on the same level as you if you've earned more than them. Grace levels the playing field because the ground is level at the foot of the cross, It's not about what I've done. It's all about what Jesus has done. It's not about what you've done. It's all about what Jesus has done. But but before grace appeared, we were waiting to be able to say the words that Paul could tell the Galatians. Before Jesus came, we were waiting to be able to say, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female. We are all what? One. One in Christ. In the family of God. Your ethnicity, your gender, your social status don't make you any more or less of an heir. You are either Christ's or you are not. So Paul's not saying here that our ethnicity should be ignored. or He's not saying there's no differences between men and women. He's just saying that you are not better because you are a Jew or a Greek. You are not better because you are a male or female. You are not better because you are rich or you are poor. We were all guilty under the law of God, and we were all waiting to be unified, co-heirs with Christ under the grace of God. The condition of truly being Abraham's offspring is not whether you were born into a Jewish family. It is whether you have been united with Christ. Jesus is the singular offspring of Abraham, the fulfillment of God's promise. It is a faith line, not a bloodline. That's what we were waiting for. Look at Galatians 4 verse 1. Paul continues to talk about this this theme of being an heir according to the promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. 
But when the fullness of time had come, this is Christmas, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. All right, here we go. Before grace appeared, we were waiting for redemption. Uh, These verses share the starting point for all of us. We don't start out as children of God. We know that. We don't start out as children of God. You were not physically born into God's family, regardless of what your ethnicity is, whether you're Jew or Greek. We are all physically born into spiritual bondage. We were slaves to the elementary principles of the world. Basically, that means that we were bound to the rules of this physical earth to the rules of this physical life. This this physical, horizontal realm is the only realm that we have access to on our own, and that is not good news, right? That is not good news. The the song, Imagine, There's No Heaven, It's Easy If You Try, that's like the worst song ever, right? Like, if all there is is the physical, like, what are we here for? Like, this this is terrible. On our own, we have no spiritual life. We are spiritually dead. We are just bound to this physical, decaying life. And lots of people try all sorts of things within this physical realm to get in touch with the spiritual world. Have you noticed this? Right? And, and there's all sorts of counterfeit solutions claiming to resolve this problem. And so mankind makes physical images and tries to pretend they represent something more spiritual. And some people do lots of things that seem totally wacky to me, but in one sense I don't blame them. Because when you are in bondage, you are desperate to find any way you can to break free. And I think this is why so many people run to the law or some type of law to try to prove that they are spiritual, right? I can do that. So if in this physical realm, I keep a law that might prove that there's something more there. I'm spiritual. But all they're doing in that attempt is revealing their own carnality. This is the life all of us were naturally born into. None of us were born into spiritual royalty. We were born into bondage, enslaved by the physical world that we could never overcome ourselves. We were waiting to be redeemed, to be bought back out of slavery under the law and set free from living only based on this temporary earthly realm. But that's not all that we were waiting for. Look back at verse 4 again. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Why? So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So before grace appeared, we weren't just waiting for fulfillment or for unification or for redemption. We were waiting for our adoption. Becca and I know what it's like to wait for an adoption. And some of you do as well. Um, We are very thankful that 2023 was the year God chose for our wait to be over and uh, and that we get to celebrate our first Christmas, and they all have our last name now, and this is great. Uh, And I love how adoption is such a beautiful picture of the gospel. Our family's adoption process didn't involve our kids bringing us their resumes to tell us why they should be accepted into our family. 
<laughs> That'd be crazy, right? Um, no, no, they didn't, they didn't do that. We, we chose them unconditionally. And one thing I love about adoption is when you finalize an adoption in New Jersey, your child gets a new birth certificate with the adoptive parents' names on it. They get a new social security number with their new name on that card. It's like they've been born again. Just like we need to be born again into God's spiritual family. And before grace appeared, we were waiting to be adopted because justification being declared righteous, and redemption, being bought back, are not an end to themselves. You are not declared righteous, justified, just so you can feel good about yourself. And you are not bought back, redeemed, just so sin no longer owns you. Our justification and our redemption are a means to a greater end of our adoption. The greatest truth of the gospel is that natural-born spiritual slaves can become children of the one true king. Isn't that amazing? Like, how crazy is that? We are children of the one true king. I, I, think it, I think we talk about being children of God in church so much that it almost loses its significance in our mind. Like, how crazy this is. How amazing this is. God did not save us simply so we can go to heaven instead of going to hell. He saved us so we can be not his slaves, but his sons. We are co-heirs with Jesus. Have you thought about that phrase before? Co-heirs with Christ. That's wild. We don't belong to a cruel dictator. We belong to a loving father. Because when the fullness of time had come, at the exact right moment in history, Jesus arrived because God always acts at the exact right time. He is never late. He just doesn't operate on our schedule, right? He's never late, but he doesn't operate on our schedule. So at the exact right time, God sent his son, born of woman, born under the law. And what that is emphasizing is that Jesus, God himself, who is spiritual, subjected himself to the physical principles of the world. He placed himself under what holds us down. He was physically born from a woman, just like the rest of us. He subjected himself to a human form. He was born under the law. So anytime you start to think too highly of yourself, just remember what a serious downgrade it was for Jesus to become like us. He left the throne room of heaven to come to the brokenness of this world. Why? Because we needed a redeemer. We needed to be bought back out of our bondage because the price of our redemption was too high for us to afford. So God himself took on human form. He lived the perfect life that you and I should have lived. He fulfilled the law that we could never fulfill and be free from. And then, because we needed to be bought back at a great price, Jesus paid the ultimate price. He died the death that you and I deserve to die. He took the just punishment for all of our sins on himself at the cross. He rose from the dead. He conquered sin and the grave. So if you place your faith in the perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection of Jesus, all of your sins are forgiven. You are justified. 
You are declared righteous by God the holy judge. Not on the basis of what you have done, not based on your resume, but based on what Jesus has done. You are redeemed. You can be bought out of slavery under the law and set free from only living based on this temporary earthly realm. But that's not all. You are also adopted into God's family. You are a co-heir with Jesus. Jesus' inheritance is our inheritance. If that's not grace, I don't know what is. The wait for unification is over because we are redeemed, adopted people who have been brought together on the level ground at the foot of the cross. The wait for the fulfillment of the promise is over because Jesus has come. Uh, I, I loved our series in the Ten Commandments. I love the law because I love the lawgiver, but we need to remember it's the diagnosis. It is not the cure. The promise of God is greater than the law of God. The promise of God is greater than the law of God. We don't want to slip back into a law-based mentality of living based on our own merits. I'm praying instead that this Christmas season will be one where we see and we celebrate God's amazing grace. Amen? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is that I can call you Father. You're such a good dad. You love us unconditionally. You keep your promises. You've unified us with your son. You've bought us back from the bondage of sin. And you've adopted us into your eternal family. What an unbelievable, what a wondrous mystery it is that Jesus would come and accomplish all of this in our place. So I pray that we would not try to live based on our own merit. I pray that we would not come to you with our resume, but we would come to you with open arms, knowing that you have more grace for us and that your grace is sufficient for everything we are going through. So I pray that we trust you more and more and that we would just celebrate your grace this Christmas season. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.